calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 322. The Drabblecast is a weekly audio fiction magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. On this week's show, Fate, the development of events outside a person's control. Either things are predetermined or our future is ours to grab by the balls. Unless that's weird, and then you can just give it a good old side hug or something. No fate but what we make was the mantra and guiding light back in the first movie of the Terminator franchise. Which, when you come to think of it, goes against its own logic, because as a franchise with Arnold in it, I'm pretty sure sequels were an inevitability. Also, there's that whole inevitable Judgment Day thing that comes up in the third movie, which totally flies in the face of the entire series reasoning so far, but whatever. I'm not here to debate John Connor's decisions. I'll be back. Of course you will, buddy. Of course you will. But really, let's take out time travel paradoxes and mystical karma shit or whatever. All sorts of things still shape our fate in just everyday life, don't they? Your family environment, friends and social climate, the neighborhood you grew up in, the opportunities you were given. Isn't it just a little naive and misleading to say that you're actually responsible for your own destiny? What if you suddenly get eaten by an alligator? What if you get in a car accident? That shit's not always on you. Unless you let an alligator drive your car, and then yeah, that's a pretty good display of bad judgment. Nothing is certain but death and taxes, right? And Adobe Flash Player updates, obviously. So we do have some leeway. Fate isn't a crutch you can lean on, or swat bats with, or stir gumbo with, or whatever. Lots of things this metaphorical item can't be. Some things are shaped in your life, and some things are not. Not everything is your fault or your responsibility, but a lot of things are. You ever open the door for somebody because you're a nice person and then get stuck holding the door for the rest of everybody for all eternity? Now you're a part of the building, bitch. 
things don't change unless you take initiative sometimes. You might just have to ruffle some feathers here and there. I'm blowing on a baby duck. No fate but what we make. Let's hit a hundred word story. Welp, this week's hundred word story comes from me. Cause gosh darn it, I ought to be on my own show every once in a while, no? Plus, I couldn't find another Drabble that really fit this week, so just easier. Y'all should get to Drabblin' more. 100-word stories. They're great little writing exercises. Visit the Drabble section of our discussion forums at forums.drabblecast.org for inspiration. This one here is called Flotsam and Jetsam. The man and his soot-covered mongrel walked the wasteland at dusk. Neither had eaten in days, yet onward they drifted like meandering ash floating in the copper-colored sky. They drifted as flotsam, two flecks hovering in a snow globe recently stirred. Worlds shaken to life. Worlds shaken lifeless. His robot servant had sputtered just days ago before her battery had finally faltered. The man thought of his family, his world, before it had shaken. His boy, Elroy. Daughter, Judy. Jane, his wife. Slumped against a wall of rusted brown metal, he dreamt of some fate different and strange. Leroy's ears perked up at the laughter. That leads us to our feature story. This week we bring you The Carnival Was Eaten All Except the Clown by Carolyn Yoakum. Carolyn's a graduate of the Clarion West Writers Workshop, and her fictions appeared in places like Asimov's, Lightspeed, Interzone, and you just heard a couple of her stories here on the Travelcast in our Women and Aliens Month doubleheader when we ran her stories A Crown of Woven Nails and Harmonies of Time. Special thanks to Dave Thompson over at Podcastle for finding the story for us. The carnival was eaten, all except the clown, originally appeared in Electric Velocipede number 27. So without further ado, we bring you The Carnival Was Eaten, All Except the Clown, by Carolyn Yoakum. The magician's table was covered by a sheet of plywood, four feet square, completely wrapped up in aluminum foil. Sugar magic was messy magic, and the foil made for easier cleanup. Scattered across the aluminum were misshapen chunks of candy, the seeds from which the carnival would grow. And grow it did. 
Overnight, as the magician slept, sugar melted into candy sheets that billowed up into brightly colored tents. Caramel stretched itself into tightropes and nets, and green gumdrop bushes popped up to line the paths between the tents. The carnival glittered with sugar glass lights. The Ferris wheel was made of chocolate with graham cracker seats and a motor that ran on corn syrup. Out near the edge of the table, a milk chocolate monkey rode bareback on a white chocolate zebra with dark chocolate stripes. The monkey did handstands and backflips while the zebra pranced in a slow circle. At the center of it all was the clown. She was three inches tall and made entirely of sugar. Her face and hands were coated with white powdered sugar, a sharp contrast to the bright red of her blown sugar lips and the green and purple of her pulled sugar dress. She was the seed from which each new carnival was grown, and she was beautiful. As each of the sugar creations woke, the clown was there to welcome them to the world and tell them of their destiny. You will be adored by children, she told the cotton candy sheep, stroking the wisps of their baby blue wool. You will delight them with your tumbling, she told the flexible bubblegum acrobats. And you will amaze them with your daring stunts, she told the gingerbread daredevil. She smiled at everyone, but she smiled her prettiest smile for the daredevil, because she was a little bit in love with him. As she woke the carnival and told them tales of children with bright, smiling faces, she always added, In the end, you will be eaten, for that is your destiny. When she told them that, her smile sometimes faltered. She had seen a child only once, several cycles ago, the six-year-old niece of the magician who had laughed in delight to see the clown's dancing routine. That had been a beautiful moment, the defining moment of her existence, the moment that made her the seed. After seeing the joy on the girl's face, the clown had dissolved blissfully into the warm water of the magician's cauldron, her sugar becoming the seed crystals from which an entire carnival was grown. As the seed, she was the only one who woke up knowing the joy of a child's laughter. The others would have to wait until the magician took them to whatever party was on the schedule. So she told the others what awaited them, how wonderful children are, and what an honor it was to perform for them. And she told them that they would be eaten, whatever that meant, because when she asked the magician why he grew a new carnival for every party, he told her that the carnival always gets eaten in the end. She was a happy clown, and this was the only thing that made her sad, the knowledge that she couldn't go to the parties. As the seed, she was never eaten, always plucked away by the magician and thrown into the cauldron to grow the next carnival. The clown stood at the edge of the carnival, waiting, and when the magician woke up, he came to greet her. She asked, as she often did, if she could go to the party with the others. He replied, as he always did, that she was the seed and could not be spared. He picked her up gently and dropped her in the cauldron. 
Over time, the clown changed. She became a sad clown, with streaks of burnt black sugar running down her face like smeared mascara. Her once vibrant dress of green and purple was still beautiful, but the colors faded and her sugar lost its glossy shine. One morning, the clown peered out from a green and yellow candy tent and saw the magician running about frantically, searching for his keys. He looked tired and distracted, and he was late in collecting the carnival. The clown made a decision. Instead of standing at the edge of the carnival, as she usually did, she would hide in the tent and go to the party. She would hear the sound of children's laughter again, and she would finally be eaten like the others. She stayed inside the green and yellow candy tent as the magician loaded the carnival into his van and unloaded it at the party. No one noticed she was there, and soon she heard children's excited voices all around her. She would finally be eaten. One of the children pulled off the roof of the striped candy tent and broke it into pieces for her guests. The first performer was the gingerbread daredevil. He jumped twelve sugar cookie cars on a motorcycle with licorice wheels and a candy corn seat. The children clapped politely for his act before they ate him. The birthday girl bit off his head, then ripped his arms off to share with one of her guests. Was that what it meant to be eaten? Her beloved daredevil had met his end bravely, without a trace of fear, but being eaten looked far less pleasant than dissolving in warm water. And a new thought occurred to her. If she didn't go into the cauldron, would she continue to exist? The others always came back, each time the carnival grew, but they never remembered what had happened at the last carnival, no matter how she begged them to tell her. No, being eaten was not the same as being dissolved, she decided. Being eaten was an ending. Being eaten was death without rebirth. The clown couldn't stand to watch any more. She went and visited some of the animals. She patted the backs of the cotton candy sheep and scratched the dark chocolate dancing bear behind his ears. Don't be so sad, said the juggler. We are meant to be eaten. She had told the juggler that very thing this morning, that it was their destiny to be eaten. She had believed it. Because of her, everyone else in the carnival, the daredevil and the zebra, the acrobats and the cotton candy sheep, all of them were content to meet their fate, week in and week out, a never-ending carnival of death. No, the clown decided. She wouldn't do this anymore. While the children were busy stuffing sheep into their mouths and watching the juggler toss flaming balls of sugar, the clown snuck to the edge of the carnival, intending to run away. But instead, the magician spotted her. He snatched her up and stuffed her into his pocket and kept her there until evening. I don't want to do this anymore, she told him. I'm sorry, I truly am, but we have a party tomorrow, and I don't have time to make another seed. He dropped her into his cauldron, and she melted away. The clown woke angry. 
It was one thing to destroy her when she was willing, but the magician had thrown her into the cauldron even after she protested. Her gown reflected her mood, sugar burnt black with a dusting of granulated sugar sequins. Sour, gummy animals replaced the fluffy cotton candy sheep, and dark chocolate elephants balanced on jawbreaker balls. The tents of the carnival were a shiny red, like wet blood, and the gingerbread daredevil wore a biker jacket of black licorice. This time, she would not tell the others of the joys of children's laughter. She would warn them of the horror of being eaten, and instead of meeting their so-called destiny, they would work together and escape. The clown was busy formulating her plans, and she did not notice that the magician was still awake until he'd come up behind her and snatched her away. He dropped her into a glass jar on the counter and sealed the lid. She watched from her prison as he poured out a batch of melted sugar and worked it into shape as it cooled. Before long, he had made a little figure over three inches tall. It was her replacement, a handsome candy clown with pants of candied orange peel and sugar rainbow suspenders. His face was molded into a dopey grin, and the clown knew that she would have loved him more than the gingerbread daredevil if they had met when she had first been made. Now, though, all she felt when she looked at him was pity. Over on the table, the carnival was waking, but she was not there to greet them. Instead, the magician spoke to them, telling them of the wonders that awaited them and reminding them that it was their destiny to be eaten. Then the magician loaded them up, the carnival and the angry clown, and took them to the party. He did not let the clown out of her jar until after the party had started. She tried to warn the others. The animals were hopeless, of course, for they understood so little of what was happening. The juggler and the bearded lady did not believe her, and why should they? The magician had been there when they woke, and she was just a clown who had joined them at the party. She came too late to save them. Her last hope was the gingerbread daredevil, who, she had to admit, looked quite striking in his biker jacket. He listened to her carefully and even claimed to believe her, but he wasn't willing to stop the show and run away with her. Her plans of rebellion and escape were crushed. The others didn't change their minds even as the children ripped the tops off the red sugar tents. It is our destiny, they told her, and what would we do if we left the carnival anyway? Even without the others, the clown was determined to leave. She gathered up the saltwater taffy cords from the bungee jumping ride and used them to climb down to the floor. She was sugar and fragile, so she knew she wouldn't live long, but at least for the first time, her life was truly hers. She wove around the children's legs. The magician stood in the open doorway, demanding to be paid, despite delivering a dark and dismal failure of a carnival. His arguments escalated into shouts, and the clown slipped out the door just before it slammed shut in the magician's face. He stormed off to his van without ever looking down, and finally the clown was free. With sunshine glinting off her sugar-shiny hair, she walked out into the chest-high grass of the birthday girl's lawn and never looked back.
On the side of a dried-up drainage ditch, on the edge of an otherwise ordinary suburban neighborhood, there is an odd sort of carnival. Instead of tents, there are marshmallow mushrooms in assorted shapes and colors, and instead of performing animals, there are caramel deer and birds made of chocolate-covered pretzels. The animals are not trained and wander through the carnival as they please. There are no daredevils or jugglers or bearded ladies. But there is a clown. She is a peaceful clown with white sugar hair and a minty green dress. She knows that somewhere in the city the magician still makes carnivals to be eaten, and she wonders if someday that too happy clown will come to his senses and make his escape. She knows her carnival is temporary and it will melt next time it rains, but she also knows that she is a seed and that she will not be eaten, and every time the sun dries out the puddles, her carnival will grow again. And that was our story. Hope you enjoyed. Go and change the world, little clown. At least until you melt. That's all anyone can ever ask of anybody, huh? So hey, we've been uh, doing some pretty cool stuff over at Drapplecast B-Sides lately. You know, that premium content feed we're always trying to get everybody to sign up for so we can take over the world, or at least break even week to week. In addition to more stories each month, we pump out stuff like this. The Parasite Parade, a totally inappropriate children's book I wrote, detailing the all-too-gruesome reality of our world's extensive array of parasites. Skeletons are scary, most children agree. And there's one inside you that you can't even see. While monsters in closets are plenty to fear, what about ones that lay eggs in your ear? Under tonsils and toenails, on your eyeball or brow, odds are you've got millions of friends in you now. They lay eggs in your bedding or under your skin. Any hole in your body is a welcome sign in. So if you could shrink tiny and drop down your own throat, and join the parade and be one of the floats, which one would you favor of all that came through? Let's shrink you down tiny and see which you'd choose. All aboard! Also, we just ran our first ever Drabblecast live video podcast over there, where you can hear and watch some hilarious stories by BJ Novak and one of my personal all-time favorites, Jack Handy. We did a special adaptation of one of his short stories called My Nature Documentary, with multiple voice actors and shadow puppets. It's good times. Documentary begins. Show monkey in a tree. Narrator says, The monkey, proud and smart in his native habitat, but one thing he does not have, Show a giraffe, is a long neck, which is why nature has allowed them to combine forces. Show monkey on giraffe's neck. Note, monkey may have to be tied on. 
Then the narrator says, The monkey can now see very far, and has protection from predators, and the giraffe has a friendly little guy to ride around on him. Monkey is shot by a poacher and falls from the giraffe. Put ketchup on monkey to make him look bloody, but put something bad tasting in the ketchup or monkey will lick it all off, probably. Shoot BB gun at giraffe to make him run away. Narrator. But alas, the monkey and the giraffe have been separated. Show monkey wandering around, injured, lost, and alone. Make him trip using fishing line attached to his leg. Try to get this on the first take, because after that, monkey will probably try to bite off fishing line. And it would seem now the king of the jungle has taken notice of the estrangement. Show giraffe being chased by a lion. If not too expensive, use full-sized, realistic robotic lion able to run at full speed. Otherwise, get a man in a lion suit. Travelcast B-Sides is available to our $10 a month subscribers. When you sign up for that via our webpage at travelcast.org, you get an email with login info allowing you to subscribe to the feed, stream, or download content. And remember, Travelcast B-Sides isn't some pay-for-play content model. It's engineered as a bonus content thank you for people committed to helping support our show on a regular basis. Ten bucks a month isn't a whole lot for great weekly entertainment delivered right to your iPod, is it? But man, does it help us out. Think about it if you have the means. Sign up at Travelcast.org. Just like our kick-ass donor of the week did this week. Paul Neem. Paul's a high school science teacher living in Toronto. You know, Mayor Rob Ford City. The place where people elected Mayor Rob Ford to be in charge of things. That place. Paul listens to the Travelcast just before he nods off to sleep. He says it gives him inspiration in his lesson planning. All hail the squid. Invigorating young minds with the Travelcast. I like it, Paul. And we appreciate you helping us out. All hail you and shit. Check out the Drabblecast for support options. You folks make this whole shebang work. All right, time for our 100-character story winner this week by first-time winner Unseen Tangerine. Here goes. He heard creaking, cracking. A hiker fell on his head, then a huge limb, then a bear. Bad things really do come in trees. Indeed they do. Think you can write a good story with only 100 characters, not counting spaces? Each week, of course, we have an ongoing contest to see who can write the best. Post yours in the 100 character story section of our discussion forums. You might be next week's winner. Follow us on Twitter for the winners early each week. We're at The Travelcast. All right, folks, that's our show this week. Remember, the Travelcast is brought to you with a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license, which means don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. If you have a minute, write us a review on iTunes or blog about us, tell a friend, spread the weird. Special thanks to our awesome episode artist this week, Shea Bartle. Shea is an illustrator, designer, and artist at large in Minneapolis, Minnesota. His work can be found at cargocollective.com forward slash Shea Bartle. Our program this week was brought to you by managing editor Nathan Lee, our art director, Bo Kyer, with additional help from Nikki Drayden, Tom Baker, David Carvin, and David Steffen. We'll see you next week, weirdos. Until then, this is Norm Sherman, reminding you not to be sad. We are meant to be eaten.
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.